we've compartmentalized our sexuality and that's why it feels compartmentalized and it's hard to heal. But once you go on the healing journey, you realize I am a sexual being and I also have these other roles, but nothing can take away my inherent sovereign sexuality. Welcome back to another episode of Dear Men. I feel self-conscious now because someone pointed out that I start out every recording that way, but it's the most natural thing that I do. So there you have it. Um, This episode is a long time coming and I'm really happy to have Violet back on the podcast. Welcome back. Thank you for being here. She's waving on the Zoom that you can't see. Um, And uh, yeah, this has really been up for a lot of our clients lately. And I think that it's relevant, not just for men who are in this space, but also for women. Um, so the, the topic that we're focusing on today is her sexual healing, how to support her and get your needs met. And so the frame that we're going with is a man who is in a relationship with a woman. So a man who has sex with women, who's in a relationship with a woman who has a history of sexual trauma. We, uh, I just want to be clear that we understand there's lots of different dynamics and lots of different kinds of relationships. Um, this is the, the frame that we're using today. And I also want to be clear that, you know, one in three women is a survivor of sexual trauma. One in six men is a survivor of sexual trauma. And that is a shitload of people. It's a lot of people. And sometimes men that have a sexual trauma background will be in a relationship with a woman who has a sexual trauma background. Sometimes one or both of them will be unconscious of that. So this is not to negate anyone's experience. We're going to talk about that, about unconscious um, memory and how sometimes it can come up when you don't expect it. And all of the rest of those dynamics, I just wanted to be clear that just because one person has a trauma background the other person might too. <laughs> this is not to negate anything, but the, the the sort of frame we're looking at is that we've had a lot of clients and I think there's a lot of experience because trauma is so prevalent of men getting into relationships with women and then having it be disclosed or somehow discovering this person has a trauma history and I'm not exactly sure what to do about that. I don't know what my role is. It's affecting our sex life, all of that. So um, yeah, to start out with... Um, Violet, I would love to hear, you know, just about your own background and your own healing journey. You know, what was that journey like for you in terms of relationships with men? How did that support your journey or help it or hinder it? Or what was that? Which I know is a big question, but just (laughs) see what you do there. Yes. So I wasn't super conscious for a long time of the sexual trauma I had, you know, experienced. Um, I had some weird encounters when I was later, uh, like college age that weren't, uh, severe, but like looking back, you know, there was some, you know, bad boundaries and and all of that and, and unwanted behavior, but it wasn't something I would classify as, um, significant trauma. If I look back now, I can see so many times I was shut down sexually and triggered sexually, which we'll talk about when we talk about the signs that there may be some sexual trauma that's resurfacing. But at the time I was just in a foggy trauma haze. And so I didn't necessarily think this is because of something that I happened. I definitely knew always there was something wrong with me. And I don't think there's anything wrong with anyone who's a survivor of sexual trauma, but the felt sense was icky, shame, nausea, disgust, wanting to get away, uh, like some anger mixed in there. So I knew there was something wrong and I personalized that as something wrong with me. Uh, and there was a lot of like hyper or hypo sexual parts of my journey, which, which we'll talk about a little bit more. Um, that I had partners who were neutral, like, Oh, okay. Um, thanks for letting me know. <laughs> I had partners who were negative, like what's wrong with you? Why the fuck don't you like sex? Like, you know, Oh, why aren't you wet? Like, you know, aggressive very detrimental. And then I had partners, most notably Jason, who were like, wow, 
I am so glad you told me that. That is so shitty that that happened. I'm so sorry. Like, I would never want to hurt you. So if you're ever feeling triggered, like, please let me know and we'll work through it. So a huge range of responses. Yeah. And to be clear, you know, you weren't always disclosing your sexual abuse to these male partners. It was just the disclosing might've been like, Oh, no, I'm not sure. I don't, you know, like, what were you actually saying? Cause I do want to talk about the signs uh, of a sexual trauma history. And a lot of times a woman you're with is not going to tell you sometimes she's not even aware this is in her past, but you know, what were, what were the men responding to? So pre knowing that I was sexually abused, it was cues like pushing his hands away and saying, no, don't touch me. But in a really aggressive way, not like, uh, you know, I'm not ready or that doesn't feel good right now. It would be like an instinctual, like pushing away. Um, and sometimes a shaming, like, oh, why do you want to do that? Or like kind of projecting onto them. And then uh, other signs before I, I kind of knew and remembered and put all the pieces together were just kind of checking out, like completely checking out during sex and also not being expressive at all. Now you might not be expressive sexually just because you're learning to embody your sexuality. So it doesn't mean that your partner is not expressive sexually that she was abused, but you know, I would have partners who I would tell them later, I'd be like, Oh yeah, that was good. Or I climax, but it'd be like, Oh, I didn't know. Cause like literally nothing in my body was changing. Cause I was in this freeze or this fawn state. So not being very expressive, pushing away, shaming and blaming the other person, uh, checking out, which they might not have known, but kind of in addition to not being expressive, my eyes would be shut and I would be thinking about other things. I definitely know thinking back that I was like kind of gritting my teeth or wincing or that there was like tension in my face. I can remember uh, people who aren't very present might not have even noticed that because they might've had their eyes closed too, or had their own stuff coming up or sometimes, you know, sex is in the dark. Uh, but there was definitely signs in my body of shutting down or freezing or dissociating or pushing away. And then also just not being very sexual. Like the longer the relationship went on, the less I wanted sex, the less I would initiate sex. I would hide in the bathroom. I would literally go brush my teeth at like 10 30 or 11. And I would like pick at my face or find new beauty routines to do. Like I was avoiding going back to the bedroom because I did not want to have sex and I didn't want to get triggered. And then after I put all the pieces together and started working on my journey more explicitly, I would say things like, Hey, sometimes I might get triggered or I would hide my trigger, which never really worked. Um, and by hiding my trigger, I mean, I would be like, oh, let's do this different position or like, not this, do that. Like I would start coaching them to try to avoid the trigger instead of just saying, you know, I'm getting triggered. Yeah. The, you know, there's so much, there's so much good stuff that you just said. And I wanted to go back to two different things. First of all, the freeze state. So we're going to talk about signs that your partner's triggered or signs that a woman has endured sexual trauma. And one of them is dissociating during sex. And I think dissociation can be a confusing concept because sort of like you said, if someone's eyes are closed, if it's dark, you know, the man might not even notice. Um, but this is where it's really important to be present, like deeply present with, with a partner in sex because it's, I think, a uh, fallacy. It's, it's, we'll often think, oh, well, she'll tell me if something's wrong. You know, she'll tell me. I think a lot of men sort of have that frame. They, they really truly believe it. Oh, if something's wrong, she'll tell me. Like that's, no. <laughs> Actually, when it comes to trauma, that's pretty unlikely. It's, it's, it's sort of later in the advanced stages of recovery is when a woman can actually speak to what's happening in her body in the moment in earlier stages, you know, I loved what you said of the instinctual, you know, your, your body was pushing his hand away or pushing, pushing him away. I don't want that. That doesn't feel good. And your, and your body itself was trying to protect itself and trying to keep itself safe and trying to have it feel safe and di didn't have words. It couldn't put together the words. And the thing about trauma is that it's not, it's not the same part of the brain that does rational thinking. It's right. It's not stored in that. So it, there's this disconnect, right? And it takes a lot to kind of connect those two parts and be able to talk about being triggered to your point. That's thing one. And thing two, 
oh, I've, I've heard that from multiple women, women in particular of hiding in the bathroom, you know, trying to take a long time, not going to bed, avoiding, because it's like, I don't want to have sex. I don't want to have sex. And this is a thing that I think really gets to the heart of this dynamic. That's so heartbreaking, which is he feels rejected. He feels like she doesn't want sex with him. He feels like he, she doesn't want him. And in actuality, sometimes that's true, but for a lot of survivors of trauma, she doesn't want anyone. (laughs) She doesn't want sex. She's not ready. Her body doesn't want it. It's not, it doesn't feel safe. So it wouldn't matter who you were. Of course, of course, as a man that, you know, isn't going to be how it feels, but I just wanted to sort of touch on that because I think it is, it is personal. It feels personal. It's personalized, but that was so poignant. What you said of, you know, I would get into a relationship and then as time progressed, I would want sex less. And and for a man, it's really confusing. That's a really confusing uh, turn of events because it's like, oh, we were so hot and heavy at the beginning and now we rarely have sex and she doesn't seem to want me. And, you know, she's avoiding it. Like, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what happened, quote unquote happened. And I'm curious in the relationships that, that you were in like that, you know, did the two of you ever talk about that? What was the quote unquote resolution if there was one when you were with those men? That's a great question. Really quickly, before I get to that, I want to speak to the free state can also be personalized as rejection. Like, oh, she's just not that into it, or I can't make her come, or, you know, I'm not giving her pleasure. So all of these coping mechanisms that people have had trauma are presenting. It's very easy to personalize those, the full range. (laughs) So um, thank you for mentioning that earlier. So in my first marriage, there was very little sex throughout, even when we were dating, there was a little bit of sex, but I would call it like playful sex, like, like best friend sex, not really like hot and heavy sex. Um, I personally think that he had trauma that was, that was lurking beneath the surface. He definitely had, um, a premature ejaculation and a lot of shame around sex. And, you know, there was a lot going on there, whether it was from trauma or from his mother was like very engulfing. And I won't get into that. Um, at the end of our relationship, before we got divorced, I would tell him very often, like, just, can you please fuck me? Like, I just want to have sex. Like that's when I was having an awakening. I was re-emerging into my sexual self and realizing not having sex for two years is not normal. You know, like we were married and we hadn't had sex in well over a year. Um, and so I was, I was realizing that I wanted more, but I couldn't express why I had been shut down. And why I all of a sudden wanted more all of a sudden, just something was emerging in me and he couldn't go on that journey with me. Like he would try, but there was, you know, mechanical issues, but more importantly, there were energetic issues and we both weren't talking about our trauma or what we needed or wanted. And so as we were getting divorced, that was part of my complaints is like, Hey, I've been asking you for better sex for like a year and a half at least. And you haven't wanted to talk about it. You haven't taken any action about it. We haven't taken any action about it. And it feels like too little, too late. So I did not handle that very well. I think looking back, I could have done so much more. And, and I, I wish that I would have, although it probably would have still not been the right relationship for me long-term. And then there were other partners where we would talk about sex. I even told one partner, you know, I get triggered sometimes. I was sexually abused and it was not supportive. He was like, well, I think you made that up and you just, you know, don't like sex. And he was really toxic. And that was very damaging because it was, we had been dating about a year and it was my first really significant relationship after getting divorced. And so that made me really reticent. So after that, I did not tell my next boyfriend after that. And I wish that I would have, because the second boyfriend after getting divorced would say things like, why do you always say the same thing when you climax or like, he could tell I had a groove, like I had a rut. I could only climax one particular way. And I would only say one thing when I did. And it was just very formulaic because everything else was too scary to like explore sexually. So there were different ways that, that we handled it. No one that I talked to other than one person, one person that I was, that I was dating a little more casually expressed that he had also survived sexual abuse, but it was very, foggy. Like he wasn't, he, he hinted at it, but he wasn't willing to actually talk about it. And so we didn't quite go that far. And then Jason, my partner may have mentioned on previous episodes that he, he didn't necessarily uh, experience sexual abuse, but he has had shame and other things around sex. And so 
Jason and I felt a re- I felt a resonance with Jason, even though it was a very different mechanism by which our trauma happened. Yeah. And I'm wondering, you know, we've talked a little bit about some signs that uh, a partner, specifically a woman partner, has survived sexual trauma. Are there any other, and what we talked about was dissociation. If you can kind of sense that she's not really there. I know some men have um, said something like, well, she's just like a starfish, right? She's just kind of there. That's possibly a sign of trauma, FYI. And of course, you know, these men were sort of like, it's not fun. It's not fun. It feels, it, it feels weird. It feels weird. It's like, are you home? Hello? Is anyone home? That's a sign of trauma for sure. Freezing dissociation. You mentioned the word fawning. I just wanted to call that out that the fight, flight, freeze, or fawn. Can you speak a little bit to what fawn is and then any other signs that you want to name? So fawn is a little bit more like the please and appease. It's different than freeze where your whole nervous system just shuts down. Fawn is more of a socialized condition that tends to happen in women more than men in our nervous system. And it's that kind of like, oh, like whatever you want. So I'm going to make the other person happy in order to protect myself. And this shows up like performing in sex. And so it's a little hard sometimes to tell if someone is fawning because for me, fawning as I was coming through my journey and less dissociation, I was getting into more active role, but then I was performing for the person. I was showing them that I could have an orgasm. I was even, you know, at sometimes pretending to have an orgasm in order to get sex over quicker because I wasn't enjoying myself and I was afraid of getting triggered more. And so the fawning part could look like when she's just really um, like not super connected to you, but wanting to like give you the best blowjob ever or wanting to like show you how sexual she is or wanting to, you know, have these these big orgasms. And there's nothing wrong with those desires. But when those desires are masking deeper trauma, then it can be actually almost worse on the relationship. Like Jason has told me before, you know, if you're feeling pain, I want to know immediately, like, I don't want to keep hurting you. So he would much rather know that than have me pretend to really enjoy a certain position if I'm not enjoying it. I think that's a really good point in terms of how a man can help a woman feel safer. So you mentioned some really toxic things (laughs) not to do. Like, I think you're lying about that. Very damaging. I am outraged that that man said that to you. Fuck him. Uh, And, um, And calling out specifically, you know, I always want to know. I always want to know. I always want to know if something hurts. I always want you to tell me immediately. I never want to hurt you. I always want to know if you're triggered, even if it's inconvenient or, you know, I always want to know. Like saying that repeatedly and meaning it and then backing it up, meaning if she does trust you enough to say, ow, or like, oh, like it hurts a little bit or I'm triggered. I don't know. Thank her. Like, thank you for telling me. I really appreciate that you told me. And it's okay if it stings a little, you can, it can sting a little bit like, oh, I didn't know, you know, I I feel a little bad. It's okay to have it sting, but have, have the first things you're expressing be something caring that she trusted you enough to say that, because I know I'm not a survivor of sexual trauma and I still have a hard time speaking up about things related to sex that aren't working. Right. When it's not working, when it's working fine, I can fawn all day <laughs> um, or, or, you know, genuinely express pleasure. But when it's something that's not working, I feel, I feel much more hesitant and I'm scared that he's going to attack me. So I love that, you know, Jason explicitly said, like, I, I want to know immediately. I, I, I don't want you to ever kind of grin and bear it or fake it. Um, Cause you think I'm having a good time. I, I, this is important to me (laughs) that you are not in pain. It's really, really important to me. And I really appreciated what you said about the, the fawning part. Cause I, again, in my sex research, what I've heard men say are things like, you know, it feels weird. Sometimes it feels like she's trying to be a porn star or like I had a guy come to me and say, you know, yeah, like I, we had sex and it, it, it's like, it should have been good. Like everything the good that happened, ha- you know, that could happen happened, but it, it didn't quite feel right. Like he couldn't, he didn't have the words for it, but it really felt like what you just said, which is she was performing what she thought he would want, but it didn't feel connected. It didn't feel connected to her pleasure and her, her center, right? Her, her. 
And he could feel that, but it was just like, well, I guess that was good sex because we did all the things, but there was something missing. And so there, if you're, if you're feeling like there's that something missing, that could be another sign. And sometimes in my journey, I have, to be honest, you know, had sex that wasn't super connected, but there's a bit of a, I wouldn't call it a sex addiction, but there's something that happens when you've had sexual trauma, especially childhood sexual trauma, where having sex almost regulates your nervous system, but you're not super connected when you're doing it. It's almost like you're, you know, you're like scratching an itch or you've, you, you know, just have to have sex and it's like junk food sex so that you're not connected, but it kind of gets you through um, and helps you regulate your nervous system because you're not actually healing the thing that caused, you know, that is causing this subtle, subtle addiction or this deeper need. Yeah. Let's, let's start talking about the healing journey because, you know, you are a good example of someone who you could tell there was something wrong when it came to sex. You were like, okay, I feel like this isn't right. Something, something's wrong. And what you made it mean about you was I'm, there's something wrong with me. And then when did you start to figure out, no, something happened to me. And, um, what was that like? And how did you, you know, go on your journey? Like what, what was the prompt? Mm. Yeah, there's, there were a lot of pieces that kind of fell into place. I was concurrently doing a lot of personal work, like studying or, you know, getting Reiki sessions and doing a lot of yoga. So the reason I bring that up is because when someone is tending to their nervous system, there's a greater likelihood that they're going to be more resourced to work on this. So if you're with a partner who's super stressed, not doing a lot of self-care, doesn't have any like personal growth or spiritual practice, they are going to be less connected to their body. And B, not really have the resources for what they need in order to embark on the healing journey, because it's a long game. It's a long, you know, journey, even if you are super well attuned. So I always think that the body releases the trapped energy or the trauma when the ecosystem around the body and including the body is resourced enough in order to heal it. So it wasn't until I was in my late twenties that I was able to have these memories because before I was working a super stressful job in a fortune 500 company, and then I was in business school. And so, you know, it it just takes time is what I'm trying to say. But I, I actually had gone to a therapist in between the boyfriend who I can't remember exactly when I went to a therapist before the boyfriend who said like, what's wrong with you? I went to a therapist who I'll just be honest, was not a very good therapist. And I say that because if you're, if your partner is going to therapy, you can't just be like, okay, cool. She's handling it because different professionals have different levels of capability. And this therapist I went to, I told her, I said, you know, I just feel like something happened to me when I was young. And I think it might've been my dad. I just get these like icky feelings about him. And I don't know if she had a caseload where people were just in much dire straits, but she's like, well, it's really normal to have conflicted feelings about your father. Like, I'm sure it was nothing. And she just completely dismissed what I said. And she was mainly a talk therapist. She wasn't a somatic experiencing therapist. And she was like a, I don't know how to say this, but like more of like a city level or like a, like a, she was accessible to my healthcare plan. I'll just put it that way. So, um, then I, I thought, well, okay, I guess, I guess maybe I am just making this up. I need to meditate this out of my system. I need to yoga this out of my system. And we all know that trauma doesn't work that way. So then I spent another year let's see, at least a year trying to, you know, spiritualize it out of my, out of my system, even though I was continuing to get triggered. And I did the whole thing of like, well, I'm just going to wait until we're exclusive, or I'm going to wait 90 days. Or I did the whole like waiting to have sex thing, which just didn't work for me because it wasn't authentic. I'm a deeply sexual person. And it felt like it, it put a lot of sand in the gears. It's like, I'd be getting close to someone, we'd be developing sexually, and then a wall would come down. And I'd tell them, well, I don't feel comfortable till we're exclusive. But the deeper reason was I don't have my shit together sexually. Like, I don't know what's going to come out of here. And I don't feel safe enough yet to, to share that with you. So then I went to that after the, the bad therapist, I'll call her. <laughs> and then a series of like experimenting with boundaries that weren't actually congruent. Then I met the boyfriend who I ironically, my memory started coming back when I was dating this person, partially because there was some degree of safety within my nervous system and within him. He wasn't just an awful person. Otherwise, I don't think it would have come up when I was dating him. But it happened really around when I was deep in my yoga yoga path. And also right after I had I'd started learning and getting Reiki. Um, 
But he's also the one, despite being very spiritual and somewhat emotional safe, who who is saying, what the fuck is wrong with you? Why don't you like sex? And I think you made that up. I think that that's just, you know, when I told him that I had this memory resurface. So literally the very first person I told when I had the memory resurface told me that I, that I made it up. So of course I stuffed it back down. I told myself, well, okay, yeah, I guess I did just make this up because my old therapist and him had told me that. So then after him and I broke up, which was just a few months after that, because I think once my psyche knew I had experienced this, there was just a jumble of stuff that was coming up. And that relationship was definitely not the place to, for it to come up. So I had some like borderline tendencies come up and he had his shit come up and it just got toxic really quickly. Um, then I started dating. Well, like six months later, I started dating someone else and it was after that breakup. So I basically had a series of failed relationships and failed dating experiments where I really wanted partnership, but I was getting in my own way and either we had sex, but I would get triggered or all these things would happen. So I was just really stuck in my, in my love life. And it was after my second boyfriend, after the divorce that I finally was like, I got to change something. And by the luck of God, one of my guy friends from business school, I did not tell him about the sexual abuse, but he was, I was telling him, I need a therapist. Like I'm this shit is not working. You know, I've been out of, I've been out of my marriage for three years. My marriage was messed up. This last three years or four years have been messed up. I need, I need help. And that's when I found the somatic therapist and my somatic therapist is amazing. Her name is Dr. Patty Zomber. I don't see her anymore, but she was transformative on my path. And that's when the healing journey really began. So I'll take a pause because I know that was long. Yeah. I mean, I, part of, you know, the, part of the intention for this episode and part of the, the challenge, I think for a lot of men that are in relationship with a woman who has a sexual trauma background is, you know, her willingness or openness to addressing it. And what I have endless admiration to you for is your, is your journey around this and your willingness to step into some really icky parts of the past and actually metabolize them. And, you know, that's not true of everyone. There are a lot of people that just, they don't want to do it. And so I guess like, I'm wondering if you imagine being in a relationship back then with a man, you know, is there something he could have said of like, Hey, I really like you and I want our sex life to be awesome. And it feels like maybe there's a block here. You know, would you be willing to get some somatic therapy or go on a journey around this? You know, how would that have been? Cause I think a lot of men are terrified of sounding like assholes or sounding self-righteous or like, well, this is your shit to deal with, which is not at all, you know, it, like you said, it's not like a, well, she's just going to go off and handle it. And that's cool. And I, you know, Obviously, the partner is deeply and heavily involved as well. But I'm just wondering if you put yourself back there and you'd had a supportive partner, what could he have said that would have felt inviting to you? And would you have been open to that at, at the time if, if you were sort of, yeah. Could you speak a little to that? Definitely. I think direct communication is best. And what I mean by that is talking about what you want to experience and then you know, the, the outcome of it, for lack of a better word. So I had boyfriends early after my divorce who would kind of beat around the bush. They'd be like, here's a book about spirituality you should read. Or a boyfriend who said, oh yeah, I read Jenna Jameson, who, for those who don't know, is a porn star. I read her autobiography and, you know, I feel like some of the things she experienced, maybe you experienced too, like she experienced sexual abuse when she was young. And it reminds me of you, like, so they would say things like that, but then I was so guarded, so defensive that when, when he said that it just didn't land in me, I was like, well, what do you mean? Like, are you saying I'm broken? Like it just, I kind of just clammed up and and I remember getting embarrassed, like flushed and just walked out of the room. Cause at that point I hadn't had a memory of it. So I was like, oh, I didn't even know there was something like that you noticed that I didn't notice myself. So I felt exposed is I guess the best way to say it. And then for the boyfriends who recommended spiritual books, I wish I could say that I was just like, wow, that's so cool. But I was kind of like, why are you saying this? You're saying I'm not enough. Like you want me to fix something. You want me to heal. You want me to be different. So I would just tell them thanks. And then either in private or after we broke up, then I would read the book. <laughs> 
So the difference is I'm thinking about like a particular partner who it didn't work out with. And there are many reasons why, but if he had said, you know, Violet, I'm feeling really disconnected from you. And I feel sad about that. Like, I actually would love to like settle down with you. I would love to be with you. I would love for our life to look like this or for things to be awesome. But I feel like there's something missing and I can't, there's nothing, I I don't think I can fix it. I don't think there's anything I can do about it, but I would like love for, for you to be on this journey, for you to be healing it. And I'm going to be right here by your side. Like, tell me what you want, that you love me, that you want to be with me and that you're not going to leave me as I'm going on this journey. Because I think it's hard enough to realize that you have this thing to confront. Um, but again, it's not up to a man to do the healing journey for the person. Yeah. I think that's the, the complexity piece because, you know, at least for the, you know, clients that we've had lately and that I've, you know, men have been writing in and everything. There's a lot of men where it's like, I want to say that I'll stick with her as she goes on her healing journey. And the truth is, you know, it's been 15 years of marriage and our bed has been cold for 10 and I'm not sure I want to stay. And so I'm, I guess, yeah, I'm wondering, you know, part of what I loved about what you just said was the bravery of being direct, right? Rather than the indirect um, beating around the bush, because I do think a lot of the, um, yeah, the, it seems like it's really hard to talk about sex in general. And then it's extra hard to talk about sexual trauma, especially if, it hasn't been disclosed or if it's sort of like, you know, you, you know, you mentioned that feeling of being exposed. I thought that was so insightful, that just feeling of like, oh, you saw something about me that I'm not ready to see or that I hadn't seen. That makes me feel so weird. Like I would feel super vulnerable being like, oh God, what was it? What did you see? Like what happened? You know, oh my God. And um, I would imagine that for, for many women, that's the case. And it's like, I just don't want to go there. I'm not ready to go there. I don't want to go there. And so, yeah, it's, you know, there's that line and that balance between, you know, wanting to say to someone, I really, I really want this to work. I want us to have a thriving sex life. I'm committed to that. And I want to be with you alongside you as you go on a journey of sexual healing. And how do you say, and I need that to happen for our partnership to survive? Like, how do you say, this isn't a nice to have, this is, I need this, or I'm going to walk. How do you say that and not sound like a douche? I haven't had that said to me. And so that's why I'm just, you know, articulating what I think would be nice to hear. But I wish I would have said that to my ex-husband. I wish I would have said, look, I know we've been talking about sex. I've been asking you to fuck me. I've been wanting us to have like better sex. I need you to know that this is serious. Like that if this need does not get met, that I'm going to be deeply unfulfilled in this relationship and I don't want to cheat on you and I don't want to end things. I would much rather us figure this out now. So I think I could have said something like that. Now, if it's something that a guy was saying to me, I think the earlier, the better. I know, you know, 10 years is a long time to go without sex and people might be like, I got to go now. And I, I've been in that position, but if you're no matter how many years you've been in a sexless relationship or a dysfunctionally sexual relationship, you can say, this is so hard to talk about, but I just don't feel like either of us are getting our sexual needs met. At least that's not my experience. And I don't think I can be in a relationship long-term where this part is not fulfilled because the biggest part of partnership that you don't share with other people, if you're in a monogamous relationship is sexual energy. So I don't want us to just be roommates sitting on the couch. I want us to be hot lovers and also, you know, best friends. So is this something that you're willing to explore with me? That was beautiful. I love podcasts because you can like rewind and write stuff down. (laughs) I really, no, I really appreciated that. And I, you know, the other thing I think that is something that Jason talks about a lot is leading with vulnerability and the the leading of I'm, I'm, I really want this. Like I want a fulfilling sex life that feels intimate and close and satisfying. I'm deeply committed to that. And I need for us to have that for me to want to stay here. And in order for us to have that, you need to address this part of your past. 
are you willing to do that? Because that's the beating around the bush part is, you know, it's like if you had gone to couples counseling, let's say, Violet, with some of your past partners, would that have been enough to heal what you needed to heal? Speak, speak to that a little bit. If you two had gone to a talk therapist, couples counselor, what would have happened? I would have found ways to emasculate or reject him or find a million excuses why he did something wrong and wasn't deserving of me to have sex or why I was too busy or, you know, I would have just really stayed in my head and I would have resisted. I'm thinking about a particular partner, not the one who said, what the fuck is wrong with you? A lot of F-bombs on this episode, but the person after that who said, you know, you, you seem to only orgasm one way and you seem to, you know, hold your breath and you seem to say the same thing. And I was mildly offended But I think if he had said, you know, I'm wondering if there's something deeper here for us to explore, I would have resisted for a little bit. I would have done that kind of like (laughs) tantrum, but then I probably would have, would have gotten, you know, gotten closer. I probably would have said like, oh, you know, but okay. (laughs) So I think part of it is predicated on trust. That particular person I didn't have a lot of trust with. I found out later that he had cheated on me. So, um, if there is trust in the relationship, which I know is waxing and waning depending on circumstances and how much work you both have done and how committed you are. But if there is trust and if both partners want to to grow, then I think absolutely you should ask about this. But if you say sex is important to me, I need this in order to want to be in this relationship. I think there's something deeper going on and I want us to, to do work together, but I also want you to want sex. I want you to take ownership for this part of your life. I want you to value sex. And she says, no, I don't. And I don't want to explore this and you're crazy. Then that really speaks volumes to the longevity or not of the relationship. If something is important to you and the other person just is an absolute no, then there's very little that that man can do to make the relationship successful. He, he may have to say, you know, that makes me really sad. But I don't think I can continue. And sometimes if he says something like that, then she may say, oh my God, like, okay, I, I'm willing to, to work on this. And I don't believe in ultimatums, but I do believe in deeply getting our needs met. And if you try the indirect approach and it doesn't work, you try the direct approach and she gets snarly, you know, see how it goes a few weeks later, say like, Hey, this is still on the table. Like, I know you were resistant before, but this, I'm not, I can't give up on my need for sex. Like I can't spend the next 60 years with you and, and, and not have sex. Like that's fulfilling for both of us like this, you know, you might have to be persistent, um, but in a respectful way. Yeah. I liked what you said about, you know, honoring deep boundaries, right. Which we did an entire episode on. And one of those deep boundaries is this is a need I have this is not something that you want to address. That's a stopping point in a relationship. And it doesn't mean that either person is bad, but if you are serious about honoring yourself as a man who values sex and closeness and intimacy, because it's really not just about your cock in a vagina for most of the men that I work with and that, you know, Jason and I work with that I know their desire for sex is about closeness Two, it's not just sexual fulfillment. It's about closeness and intimacy and feeling that deep sense of togetherness. You know, it's about more than just the sex act. And that's what I think gets it, it you know, because you, you mentioned that shaming and emasculation. I love that you said that. You're like, oh yeah, if we had gone to a couple's therapist, it would have been a fucking dumpster fire, right? It would have been like, you know, throwing all this shade basically about like, well, why is, you know, why does it always have to be about the sex? Why are you so obsessed with the sex? What about the rest of our relationship? We parent the kids great together. We have, you know, fantastic conversations, whatever, all these other things that are working to avoid this thing. That's like, I am deeply terrified of this. There is some really deep, dark shit that feels bad and crazy and, and, you know, scary for me to address. And so it's like, that person's doing all of this singing and dancing over here to be like, I don't really want to go there. And as we're, you know, one of the things that really, really inspires me about you, Violet, is that you did go to the depths. You went all the way through the dark maze and it's not like it's, you know, oh, everything's all over. It's, it's an ongoing thing, but you really did come out on the other side. I mean, you have a wonderful, close, relationship and you have such a great, you know, thriving sex life and you do feel the closeness and you have that gooey gooey, you know, happy 
like family life. It includes really happy sex with your husband. And there's so many women, you know, and men, right. But it's like, they feel so stuck. Like, this is just how it's going to be forever. I'm never going to get there. It's not possible for me. It's never going to be normal for me. And I feel like you're such a shining example of like, no, you, you can get there. You can get there. Somatic therapy works doing your yoga works, right? Using the jade egg works. Like, you know, I'd love to hear a bit more about your journey and what really, you know, what really transformed. Cause you, you know, in your, in your story, we stopped at the point where you, where you met the somatic therapist and you're like, and that's when the journey really began. But it's like, yeah, it's, if you do this stuff, as I like to say, personal growth works, it does work. It's, 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 it's not like a pipe dream. It actually does change things. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about that. Cause I know this episode will get forwarded to, to women as well. I'm a huge fan of somatic experiencing, which is a body of work from Peter Levine. And there's also, you know, Bessel van der Kolk wrote this book called the body keeps the score, which I found a little later in my journey, but was still very useful. And Stephen Porges has a uh, polyvagal theory. It's all about basically your nervous system and that whether it was early childhood developmental trauma and or sexual trauma, whatever trauma it was, it made a kink in your nervous system. And that's where the trapped energy is. And that's where the opportunity for greater intimacy with yourself and with others is. And the somatic experiencing I found to be very important because I'm pretty smart and I'm pretty intellectual and I can out talk a lot of people. <laughs> I can outthink a lot of people, not because I'm better than them, because I had developed that part of my personality as a coping mechanism for the trauma. And so had I just gone to a talk therapist, not only the one that I did, but um, there, there, I could just be very sneaky. I could be very sneaky. And so somatic experiencing shortcuts, all of that. And it's just about what is arising in your body now. It was also safer for me because I didn't have to think, well, did this or didn't this happen? It was just, what is my body telling me right now? And that translates wonderfully to intimacy because intimacy, the best kind of intimacy is just complete presence in the moment with each other, whatever is arising. And then the sex can go on for hours and hours and be endlessly creative. So that was a very, very useful tool. And if you're listening to this and you're like, what is somatic experiencing? Peter Levine's website, and it's L-E-V-I-N-E, has a directory of somatic experiencing therapists. And he also has two books, uh, many books, but two of the books I would recommend are Waking the Tiger, which is more general about trauma, and then In an Unspoken Voice, which is about childhood sexual trauma. So both of those are, are excellent. But that ended up being a key like platform for me because... I had done a lot of spiritual work and I had done a lot of intellectual work, but I hadn't combined it into nervous system work. And the nervous system work is where I could meet the moment, as they say, and, and work through the things that were arising in real time. And then I needed to combine that with relational work, like expressing what was happening to me, not just to my therapist or not just being aware of the sensations in my body, but being able to share that with a partner. And that was transformational because on my second date with Jason, this big conversation happened that was really triggering for me. And instead of running, I was like, here's what I'm feeling in the moment, tightness in my belly, desire to run, like feeling sad. I just literally named for two minutes. I just named my experience. And he looked at that as like noticing or, or sharing, which is part of authentic relating. So I was able to take my somatic experiencing and combine it with some relational experiencing and then create this bridge where we had emotional intimacy as we were developing the physical and the sexual intimacy. And then the third piece, in addition to somatic experiencing, relational stuff like authentic relating and vulnerability would be the jade egg. And those are Taoist practices, but there's tantric practices, whether it's Taoism or Tantra or different sorts of things that are expressly about sexuality. Because even though my somatic therapist was amazing, and even though Jason is amazing, they aren't my vagina. Like I am my vagina. I have to get in there. I have to know what's going on. Only I can know what part of my body is still holding tension or when I tend, what area I tend to disconnect from or what is going on and how I can have more pleasure. My partner is not responsible for my pleasure. I'm responsible for my pleasure. So the third piece of this journey was really the jade egg and Taoist practices and tantric practices that gave me a map 
to my own pleasure and my own trauma and my own constriction. And, and those were very, very helpful. And then sprinkled in there, I also worked with Rahi Chun, who is an amazing sexological body worker. We didn't do any sexological body work, but we did neuroaffective touch, which is all about expressing your wants and needs, like what you want more of, what you want less of, if you want, you know, a beanbag on your right shoulder, or if you want a blindfold on, like it's, it's just about asking and receiving, which was very helpful for me to ask and receive and co-create sexual experiences with Jason instead of just take whatever he was giving me or feel like I needed to like fight, flight or, or freeze or fawn. I just want to say one other thing too, is that as someone is working through their journey, they still may have these things come up, the fight or flight or freeze or fawn, but the difference is they're relating to those energies instead of those energies taking over and relating from those energies and having them be all consuming. So there were definitely times, I mean, I would say for a year straight, almost every time Jason and I had sex, there would be at least a minute, if not like 10 minutes of me being angry. And that was me getting my fight system out of my body. Yes, I can punch a pillow on my own and I can do rage practices on my own and all of that shadow work, but it still needed to come out in sex. And so luckily he wasn't like, oh God, she's mad at me or that's not sexy. He was like, it's okay. Punch the mattress while I'm you know, having sex with you or scream or growl. Like what he gave me so much space to do what my body wanted to do in the past, but couldn't because part of somatic experiencing is giving yourself permission to release the trapped energy or that charge in the same way you would have, like, I wish I could have, you know, screamed or punched or kicked my abuser, but I couldn't, and I didn't at the time. So I'm not screaming or punching or kicking Jason, but I am growling. And instead of personalizing that, he's just like, okay, she's growling. That's sexy. <laughs> so like allowing your partner to release the energy during a sexual moment and not making it feel like they're, um, ruining the moment. Yeah. Again, there's like a zillion brilliant things that you just said. Um, but one I wanted to highlight at the end was really creating space to complete a moment. So it's like, there are unfinished loops in our past that haven't the circle hasn't been completed. And so they're like flapping a little bit in the wind. <laughs> and so some of this healing work, a lot of which does happen in relationship. So many things that you said, I mean, just that last piece of when you are with a woman who is conscious and who does have sexual trauma, there's still going to be stuff that comes up. And all you have to do as a man is breathe, be present and hold that space for her. What else you got? Like I'm right here. You know, I love it when you growl, like I'm, if you need to punch the mattress, go right ahead. Like I'm here all is well, right. Just holding that space of I'm here and all is well and allowing her to express and complete some of those loops. Another thing you said that was really important was, um, my pleasure is my responsibility. And I just wanted to slow down the, the part about the jade egg. So just for listeners, there's a lot of new listeners lately. There was a whole episode about the jade egg, which is a small egg made of jade. Some of them are also made of rose quartz that a woman puts up her pussy and it helps draw out negative energy and build a pelvic floor and a ton of other magical things that are all in that episode. But I just wanted to slow that down because, you know, Violet, part of what you said was somatic experiencing was really important and something like the jade egg, because again, this is not about reading a book. What I heard from you, the, the, the loudest to me was you are a very smart, brilliant, accomplished woman with a very healthy masculine. You can masculine the shit out of the moment. You are a boss bitch. You know what I'm saying? Like you've got it going on. And a lot of the men that we work with, that's their woman. Their woman is a boss bitch. She's, she's literally the boss. She's the head of things. She knows she's in her masculine a lot. And, you know, this isn't something you can masculine your way out of. This isn't something you can just read a pod, read a podcast, read a book or listen to a podcast about, yes, you can listen to something like this to get some guidance. And man, you got to stick a jade egg up your pussy. Like at some point you got to get messy and, and actually get in touch with the physical body because that's where it happened. That's where it happened. And that's where it unhappens. And then that's where healthy sex happens again. And I really loved what you said too, about, you know, the work that you did with Rahi on just saying like, I want you to like stroke my cheek 
And can you go a little slower? Can you go a little faster? Can you go a little softer? That's so vulnerable. That's so vulnerable. Actually saying out loud to someone what you want, even if it's not, I want you to stroke my clitoris. If it's just, I want you to hold, hold me. Like I'm, you know, it's so vulnerable. Like I would imagine that there were sessions. I wasn't there, but I'm just imagining where you would just like, say like, I want you to hold me. And then just like ball for 10 minutes, because it's like, fuck, you've never, you know, actually had a voice. And and so many of us, men and women have never actually had that experience of voicing what we want. And then the vulnerability of, is he going to do it? Am I going to get my need met? Like I just exposed myself. Like I just said the thing that I want, it's so vulnerable to do that, but actually physically doing it putting it into words, allowing it into the space and then having it be met like though that reciprocity that, uh, it's like the infinity sign. I'm doing the infinity sign with my hand right now of like the giving and then the receiving over time with someone like Rahi would, would make a huge difference in your nervous system. And that would never happen from reading a book. It would never happen. You can't read a book about talking about what you want and internalize it. You got to actually do that kind of work relationally. Absolutely. It has to be relational. It has to be, like you said, a little messy, but I want to say it doesn't have to be as long as my journey. I mean, that's why I do what I do. I know that you and Jason serve men in your particular way. And that's, that's the, you know, um, thing that listeners are probably used to hearing about, but just a little, you know, uh, plug for the work that I do is I help single women find incredible partners, but sometimes I will also work with married women or women in partnership who are like, you know what, something's getting in the way of my intimacy. My partner brought it up and now it's mine to kind of work with and, and heal and resolve with their support. And I love working with women like that, as well as single women who maybe have an inkling that part of what's getting in the way of them having partnership is, is unresolved sexual trauma. So within, you know, six months, women that I work with have resolved a lot of this. Is it a hundred percent? No, of course, because I'm not, you know, saying that I'm, I can do all of that, but if you stay committed, you do the JDAG and you do all the different practices that I layer that I layer into my course, you can have transformational, significant, life-changing healing within six months that in many cases leads my clients to find their partner or to create a much, much healthier partnership if they're already in one. So I just wanted to, to share that so that people aren't like, oh God, this journey is going to be 10 years long and there's going to be no one helping me. I had to hodgepodge it together because I didn't have that guidance, but people like me are, are out there to help you. And yeah, your point about you know asking for what I want and receiving it was deeply healing and the very first session that we did, I just laid on my belly the whole time on the massage table because it was too vulnerable to even just lay on my back or ask for any sort of pressure or touch on the front of my body. And it reminded me of when I was doing yoga before I had the memories, there were positions where you would have your legs out to the side, restorative yoga, where you were laying on your back with your legs open, butterfly position. And my body couldn't handle it. Anytime a teacher wanted us to do that at the end of class, I would have to roll over to my side or close my knees together or straighten my legs because I didn't realize at the time it was just way too freaking vulnerable. So what was nice is over multiple sessions with Rahi, eventually I was able to lay on my back and to be more assertive instead of saying, well, maybe I think I want this thing. Or he would help me be like, do you want the beanbag on your eyes first? Or do you want a blanket on your belly? And I'd be like, well, I think this, you know, by the end of our sessions, which was only, I think three or five, I was able to be on my back with just, you know, I was clothed, but just being, you know, more vulnerable by laying on my back and having my torso exposed and say, yeah, I want this. And then I want this. Oh, actually do that first. Like I felt so much more masterful in just a few sessions. So transformation can be quick when you're willing to, to go into it. Yes. When you're willing to go into it and when you involve the body, because I, I can't stress that enough. And it's been coming up a lot of, well, maybe I can just read my way out of it. It doesn't, it doesn't work like that. Trauma doesn't work like that. It's got to be body-based. And um, we're going to start to wrap up, but I, since you have worked with so many women, I'm super curious to know, like, are there women who've come in and said, you know, basically my husband was like, this has got to get handled. Like, I love you. I want this marriage. I really love you. And I need our sex life to be vibrant. I really need that. You know, are you willing to, have you had women that did they come, you know, I'm so curious, like, were they resentful of him for that? Were they partly resentful and partly like, yeah, I've needed to deal with this for a long time. Like what, what is the deal there? Most of the women, by the time they reach out to me are like, yeah, I need to, you know, I need to deal with this. They're not necessarily resentful. Most of them to their credit are like, 
I just want him to, he's an amazing person. I want him to be happy. I want to be happy. Like I'm ready. I'm ready to do this. Maybe it took them a little while to get there. I don't have the full backstory. Um, and then I've also worked with women who are not in partnership, who on our very first call, I always ask, no matter who I'm on the phone with, because it's so prevalent, sexual abuse, have you ever experienced any sexual abuse? And I have women who say no. And then after working with me, you know, a few months, they'll say, I was too embarrassed to tell you this at the time, but I was as I am a survivor of sexual abuse and I've, it's been so healing to work with you on this. Like I've actually been able to do X, Y, Z, even though we never explicitly talked about the abuse, talked about the memory, talked to the abuser, talked about all the things, just doing the practices for embodiment created healing. So if you're like, I don't want to deal with this, you know what? Don't deal with it intellectually, just get support for someone who can lead you through embodiment practices and let your body change. And then your body can tell your brain new stories and new pathways instead of just trying to push it from the mind down. I think that's a really important point too, because in the same vein, just talking about it also doesn't necessarily move the energy. So there, the body must be involved. <laughs> however, however it makes sense to do it, the body must be involved. And I liked what you said, because some people aren't going to be ready to talk about it. And it's going to take building some trust with their healer. Well, you know, even with you, who is a survivor of sexual abuse, they might not feel comfortable. They, they're like, I don't know you yet. I don't, you know, but then after a few months, they're like, okay, all right. She's trustable. I'm in my body. You know, it's, it's more like they're ready. They're ready. And I really liked that, that phrasing. Cause I do think that there's, there's a part of this where it's like, sometimes someone's not ready yet. And if you're with a partner who's not ready and you are meaning ready to grow, ready to heal, ready to be in a growth relationship, that's not going to, that's not going to work. If you want to grow and you're with a person who doesn't want to grow, that's probably not feasible relationship. And there's a lot of hope for you. It doesn't mean that this is the last relationship of your life. Even if it's a divorce, even if it feels huge and, you know, undoable, I've seen it repeatedly. Humans are resilient. You can get through it and you will attract a new partner who is willing to grow with you. If you, if you're really doing the work, you're going to attract someone who's also really doing the work. So, oh yeah. I just want to share really quickly that, you know, in my first marriage, we talked about sex, but neither of us really had the tools and he wasn't willing, you know, to grow in this area. Jason and I, within our first few dates, we had talked about sex and we'd been like, yeah, that's super important to me because both of us had had dysfunctional sexual relationships in the, in the past. And so we just kind of knew like, yeah, sex is important. We're going to be talking about it. We're going to be healing it. And I just wanted to add one other thing, which comes from Jaya. Jaya is a, is a sex expert and she talks about different stages of sexual development and it's not linear. It's more of a spiral. So there's dormancy, then there's healing, then there's uh, I think exploration or no learning there's learning and then there's exploration and then there's transformation. So what that looks like is, you know, you might be with someone and you are both early stages of relationship showing up really, really like you're curious to learn, like you want to try new positions or you, you read a book and then you want to explore even more like, Oh, well, what if we had sex outside? What if we did these different things? And, and then you can feel this sense of union and deepening and that's the transformational part of it. But then a memory might come up or someone might have stress or different things can happen and your sex might become dormant for a little while. That's why it's important to be with someone who prioritizes and values sex and who's willing to grow for the sake of themselves in the relationship. So that if there is a little dormancy, but you're both working through it, that it's okay. So it's not to say that you always have to be having sex a certain number of times a week, or that you always have to have the same libido as your partner, but you both need to value it. And if you've expressly told your partner that you value this and she doesn't, then there is a lot of unevenness in that. And it's just not fair to you long-term. Great point. So as we start to wrap up, yeah, you mentioned your work. I'd love to hear where people can find you if they're interested in working with you. Of course, people can go to violetlang.com forward slash talk and book an exploratory session. And we'll just kind of talk about what's happening in your relationship or in your love life if you're single and 
determine, you know, if it makes sense to work together in my program, which is great because you're around a community of women and we're all talking about these things, although you don't ever have to talk about what you've experienced, but we're talking about love and healing, embodiment and yoni eggs and all that. Or um, sometimes I do work one-on-one with individuals. It's uh, has to be particular fit and everything, but either way, I'll point you in the right direction. If we don't end up working together, I'll send you some, you know, book ideas or resources, but I just deeply hope that everyone gets the support they need to take action and to be accountable for your own healing and your own pleasure. Yes. And we will, I will also include some of the book titles that Violet mentioned here in the episode description. So if you didn't take notes, we'll drop some of those in there. And I just have one other thing, which is that Mel, you had mentioned earlier, you know, holding space and just saying, it's okay. Always tell me, like, I always want to know your anger is sexy. All of that is beautiful. I want to say one thing to avoid, which is processing with her in the moment. Like, oh, are you having a memory? What's coming up for you? What are you noticing? Like that actually could be very disorienting and is disorienting. Like I just wanted to be held. Sometimes I needed to stop. I needed to like stop the intercourse, remove penis from vagina and just feel held and breathe and eye contact. But I don't want to go in my head about it. And while I might be able to articulate oh, I'm feeling tingly in this area or I'm feeling numb in this area. I actually don't want to process it and I don't need my partner to be my therapist. So truly, you don't have to fix it. You don't have to inquire. You don't have to get to the root of things. You don't have to be their therapist. Like all you have to do is say, I love you. You're still beautiful and sexy, even though this is coming up and let's just breathe together for a few moments. Yeah, I'm right here. I'm right here. And Jason would also say, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going anywhere. And I love that. It was like, okay, he's not abandoning me. He's not going anywhere. Like we'll get through this. And that helps so much. No, I like that. Oh, I really like that too, because every couple is unique and every human being is unique. And so finding those little phrases that are like, oh, that actually calms my nervous system. Like I noticed when you say that, I'm like, oh, like those exhales. To me, that's the most beautiful part of partnership. It's like, oh, wow, that, that, that really works for me. You know, whether it's something that's like really a turn on um, or something that just has you exhale, everyone, everyone's different. And I just think those are such beautiful pearl moments. And just one, you know, kind of carrot is to say, I did not go on this journey because I wanted to have better orgasms or any of those things. I think it's really important to set our outcomes and agendas and goals to the side because healing is non-linear and there's so many ways to experience pleasure beyond just, you know, certain types of sex. But I will say so that people know that it's worth it. Not only do Jason and I have like the best sex that I've ever had of my life. That's both spiritual and transcendent, but also like hot and dirty. Sometimes there literally, I can't remember a time when I didn't have an orgasm with Jason, like every sexual experience, I have an orgasm of some kind, clitoral, cervical, energetic, full body, whatever. And oftentimes multiple orgasms. So every financial and energetic and time investment that I made in my spiritual and, and sexual healing has paid off in thousandfold from like amazing orgasms, deeper connection. And that is so regenerative and healing for our relationship. It creates intimacy on a level that we can't with words. And it's also been deeply healing and creative for my business and other areas. So if you're thinking, God, this seems like a lot of work. It's super scary. Is it going to be worth it? What happens with my partner? What doesn't happen? Like, it will pay you back in pleasure. And so please, please just keep moving forward. Yes. And also a shout out to your family system. You know, you're raising a young daughter and she's coming into a family system with close parents who love the shit out of each other and are learning and growing together and are sexually intimate. And there's an energy there, like you said, right? There's a feeling of closeness. And I'm sure that your daughter can feel that in the room, in the house, in the space, you know, she can feel that closeness and she's going to grow up with it. So what she's going to learn about relationship is it's restorative, it's regenerative, it's fun. It's, you know, all these things that we want the next generation to grow up with, right? We don't want to keep fucking having to do all this shit to like undo our family origin stuff. Wouldn't it be so much more efficient if our family of origin was just healthy? (laughs) Yes. Like decades and generations of time and and energy that we could recoup and we could spend on other things like helping the planet and healing racial injustice and all of that. And I think it's important for our children and our friends and anyone 
to see that women can be sexual and embodied and still be good people. And still I'm doing the air quotes for those of you listening, you know, and still be mamas. Like we've compartmentalized our sexuality and that's why it feels compartmentalized and it's hard to heal. But once you go on the healing journey, you realize I am a sexual being and I also have these other roles, but nothing can take away my inherent sovereign sexuality. Yeah. And it's almost like the opposite of what we were saying before about being performative. It's like, oh, I'm actually connected to my pussy. Like I really want this. And there's a, and so then dirty talk or whatever is coming from that place is authentic. And that's that missing piece that the men were like, I mean, we did all the things, but it didn't quite feel right. Versus like, oh, it felt right. It felt real good. Cause it felt like, oh, she's here. And she's like, Ooh, it's like right there. You know, it's like, it's connected. It's connected. It's all the circuits are all turned on. And I love that. Hey guys, this is Mel. And this is Jason. You've probably heard me on at least a few episodes by now. And we coach together in part because we know that it's when the masculine and the feminine come together that we are the most powerful. So we wanted to let you know about a free training that we put together for you guys. It's about how to take back control of your love life. We are absolutely inspired to help guys like you take all of the amazing ideas that Mel has introduced to you on this podcast and actually put them into practice, bring them into your life to create lasting change. So if you're interested in that, just go to evolutionary.men slash training to sign up. If you've been looking for a way to go a little bit deeper than just this podcast, this is the opportunity for you. Again, that's evolutionary.men slash training, and you're going to get a much deeper dive with Mel and I.